have for children. Lord, help us all, each and every one of us, whether it's a small group that decides to pray for college students, whether it's the worship team thinking um, creatively and passionately about ways that we can lead children to worship and to know God and to worship freely. Let us all, I pray that we all have eyes and ears that we can filter what we're doing um, to speak into the next generation. Um, Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your word, and um, we pray that um, in this next hour that you will be um, uplifted and, and glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Can we give Becky a round of applause, please? Listen, there is literally no one better than Miss Becky. Every week, week in and week out, she is back there to welcome our kids. I think one of the greatest moments for me is to watch all of these kids just run to her and just shout, Miss Becky, right? Like they love Miss Becky. She loves those kids. And God is using her in a huge way back there in our, in our chapel kids. And so make sure if you see her around, you won't miss her hair, all right? Just make sure you uh, appreciate her the most you can. Um, so when I was in college, I worked at a camp in Michigan. It was a wonderful camp. It was very formative for me as an individual in my spiritual life, personal life. I also met my wife there, which is pretty sweet. And so this was a great camp. It was a good time. And uh, every year, I worked there three summers, and every year we would show up, and the first thing we would do is have a two-week training program. And at the end of the training program, they would give us all a bunch of swag. If you don't know what swag is, it's stuff we all get, okay? So the swag had the, the, the camp's logo on it, all over it, that we got to wear all summer, and I'll never forget what the director would tell us. He would sit us down like children, and he would look at us deadpan, like not joking, and he would say, listen, when you are wearing that stuff, remember that you are representing the camp in all you do. Now, that stuck with me, A, because he just didn't want a bunch of stupid college kids to do stupid things out in public, right, with their logo all over it. But B, what he was teaching us was something pretty unique, pretty deep in our lives. He wanted us to understand that as we live life, we are representing something greater than us. Something greater than us. He wanted us to understand life's not just about you and what you do. You represent something greater. And when we think about this in our spiritual lives, it's the same exact thing. If you claim or are a Christian, okay? So I'm talking to those who are claiming to be Christians, claiming to follow Jesus. If you have faith in Jesus, the one thing we have to understand is that we are representing Jesus in our lives in this world. That's our purpose, that's our identity, that's who we are as individuals now. We have to understand that we are representing something far greater than us. And that's exactly what Paul wants us to understand today. As we jump back into Ephesians, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it's going to be up on the screen for you today. In chapter 4, we are going to see Paul lay this out and remind us all and really urge us all and beg us all to remember 
that our lives are to be lived representing Jesus in this world. We have purpose, we have opportunity, and Paul wants us to leverage that. All right? And so chapter 4 is very unique in Ephesians. If you've been with us the whole time, it's been a great message series. If you've missed any of the messages, you can go online and listen to them. But in Ephesians chapter 4, we actually see a shift in the whole letter. The first three chapters, Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, are all about doctrinal truths. Or in other words, are all about what we believe what we believe. So Paul sets it up to really exclaim all these things about what to believe about God and what to believe about ourselves. Those are the doctrinal truths that are so vital for all of us to embrace in our lives. But then chapter 4 starts and he shifts and all of a sudden chapter 4 begins by shifting and really here's how to live in light of what you believe. Right? Which is a practical outflowing of what you believe is how you live. I love how Martin Lloyd-Jones explains this shift in the letter. He uses the, uh, a Christmas tree as an analogy. Christmas begins tomorrow for many of us. And so when Christmas begins, many of us put up a Christmas tree, right? And so you get this beautiful tree, either fake or real. That's up to you, okay? It's all relative. And you get this tree, and you pull out all the ornaments, and what do you do? All of us probably do the same thing. You put the tree up first, and then you put the lights on, you put the ornaments on, if you crazy people, you put tinsel on, right? Then you get the star on top. That's like you cap it off. That's probably every single person in this room follows that order at some point, all right? Here's why Martin Lloyd-Jones brings that up, because a Christmas tree is only beautiful if you have the tree and the ornaments, right? If you just put up a tree in your house, it looks weird. If you just pull out a bin of ornaments and say, wow, look how pretty these are, that looks weird, okay? What doesn't look weird is when you put the tree up and you put the ornaments up, you put the lights up, and you create something that's beautiful. You see, Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 is the tree, that's the tree. That's the foundation of what we are to do in life. And then how we live, chapters 4, 5, and 6, are the lights, the ornaments, the tinsel, the star. And together, when you combine the two, you have something pretty beautiful. You have something amazing. And so we see this shift in the whole chapter because Paul wants us to connect these two things together. That's why Ephesians 4.1 is almost like the linchpin of the entire letter to the church at Ephesus. And so we see this shift in the first word of chapter 4, verse 1. And that word is, therefore. Therefore. The word therefore means for this reason or because of. For this reason or because of. And so what Paul is trying to do, he's trying to jog our memories of what we just learned in the first three chapters. And so he wants us to understand a few things. First, because you are in Christ. Because you have received heavenly blessings. Because you have been saved by grace through faith. Because you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Because you now are citizens of the household of God. Because you are partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Because you are strengthened with power through his spirit. Because you are now 
you know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And because we learned last week, God can do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Those are all just phrases I took from chapters 1, 2, and 3, all right? That's what Paul was trying to communicate to us. So that word therefore literally means because of these things, what are we to do? Because of these things, how are we to live? It is so vital for us to embrace chapters 1, 2, and 3. We're going to see that in a second. To really think about, to really read God's word, to know what we believe as individuals. It's vital. So the question is, is what are we to do? Because of all those things, what are we to do? Ephesians 4.1 tells us. Therefore, we already know what that means, because of, because of everything that's happened so far, I, a prisoner of for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. So because of everything we've read thus far, Paul begs us to lead a life worthy of our calling, which God has call us to. So in order to understand this verse better, what we're going to do is we're going to break it down and then build it back up, okay? You with me? All right, here we go. So the first thing he says, we we already know what therefore means, and so the second thing is he kind of pauses and he says, I, a prisoner of the Lord. Why does Paul have to put that in there? So he's asking us to do something, but before he does, he's like, just know I'm a prisoner of the Lord. He's already said that once. Why does he say it a second time? Well, it's very simple because he wants these people in Ephesus to understand that what he's about to ask them, he's doing himself. Like he is leading a life worthy of the calling in which God has called him to and that's led him to prison at that time. So he's basically saying, what I'm about to ask you, I'm doing as well. In fact, it's led me in prison. You see, what he wants us to understand is that you cannot lead anyone somewhere where you haven't first gone yourself. Isn't it the worst when someone asks you to do something that you know they would never do? Some of you have bosses like that. Some of you are those bosses, right? People will ask you to do things and you're like, they would never do that. Paul's, Paul's saying, listen, what I'm asking you to do as the church, as people who follow Jesus, I'm doing as well, all right? I'm there first. Let's go. We're going to do this together. And so he, that's why he puts a prisoner for serving the Lord. Next, he moves into, I beg you to lead a life. I beg you to lead a life. I like how the ESV says it a little better. It says, I urge you to walk. I urge you to walk. I love that phrase, walk, because the word implies movement, Movement. My wife could walk nine miles without blinking. About a mile in, I'm done, right? And I want to stop walking. This is why Paul says, I urge you to walk. I urge you to move because it's very natural for all of us in this room, especially spiritually, to what? Stop. To sit. To not do anything. To just say, you know what? I've made it to this point. I'm good to go. And yet Paul is saying, listen, no. The Christian life is all about movement. The Christian life is all about walking. The Christian life is all about literally living out your faith and your practice together. Because if you don't, it's going to become stagnant faith. And let me tell you, stagnant faith is dangerous. 
Stagnant faith is dangerous. And so that's why we're committed as a church. You, you hear our mission statement every single week. We're here to help people move one step closer. Move one step closer. That idea of movement. We need to walk because this is a journey that we cannot be stagnant in. And so Paul begs us to lead a life. He begs us to walk, to move. Now the question is, is that we can lead a life in many directions, can't we? There are so many opportunities of what we could do in life. We can go here, we can go there, we can go there. Especially now with all the resources, you can lead your life literally in any direction you want. But where does Paul want us to go? Worthy. He wants us to head toward the word worthy, okay? That's the direction. That's where we're to head and lead our life. And so the question is, is what does the word worthy mean? This word is huge, all right? If you don't hear anything this morning except for this, please hear this today. The word worthy means two things. First, it means to have equal weight. We've all heard the phrase, they are a worthy adversary, which means they are, it's an equal fight, right? And so we want to give equal weight. Or you look at uh, the scales, like those old school scales where you like put money on and stuff and gold. I don't have gold, never done this. But you want to make sure it's equal, right? Equal weight on either side. And so what are we to do? Why are we to live worthy and have equal weight? Paul wants us to lead a life giving equal weight to both what we believe and how we practice it. What we believe and how we practice it. Here's the natural inclination of many Christians in this world. Some of us in this room want to head toward, toward what we believe. You can't get enough of the Bible. You can't get enough of the intellectual thoughts, the conversations, all of that good stuff. That is fantastic. That's understanding what you believe in life. But what happens is, is many people stay there and they don't actually live it out, right? They don't live it out. So they embrace the doctrinal truths, what they believe, but they have no practice. And then you have other people who are like, I don't need the Bible. I'm just going to be a good person. I, I don't need to understand that stuff. That's for the pastor up there. That is also dangerous because that is just practice without even knowing why you're doing it. And so hear me on this. Doctrine without practice is dead faith. And practice without doctrine is empty moralism. Can we think about that for a second? If you have your beliefs all set up, but you don't actually live that out, that's what we call dead faith. You have nothing. It's dead, right? Faith without works is dead. But then on the flip side, if you just have practice without knowing what you believe, it's empty moralism. You're just a good moral person not rooted in Jesus. And so what Paul wants us to do, he wants us to lead a life worthy, giving equal weight to both what we believe and how we live. That's the natural way we should live, right? We should know why we believe these things, the Bible. We read it, we study it, and then we should actually walk in it, live it out. We need to give equal weight. And so in order to lead a life worthy, we need to give equal weight to both sides. The next thing that the word worthy means is becoming. 
We've all heard this phrase, if you're maybe in a certain area, you've heard the phrase, that outfit is very becoming, okay? So maybe if you were born a little earlier than myself. That word becoming means this. If someone says that outfit is very becoming, what they're saying is, is it's fitting, proper, and attractive, okay? It's fitting, proper, attractive, That means what Paul's trying to say to us is when you give equal weight to both doctrine and practice, you know what it is? It's fitting, it's proper, and it's attractive in this world. Meaning your life will be attracted to other people because you are believing, but also doing, and you're doing, and also believing at the same time. Giving equal weight to both importance. It is becoming. It is attractive. It's fitting to live that way in this world. That's what it means to be authentic. Authenticity. We've all met authentic people in our lives. Well, it's because they give equal weight to what they say and what they do. That's very becoming. And so we need to lead a life that is worthy. Worthy of what, though? It's of our calling. As a calling. So the question is, is what is our calling as a Christian? Our calling is a summons to bear the name of Jesus. Our calling is a summons to bear the name of Christian. Throughout the Bible, we see these phrases of like, bear your cross, right? Or we see these phrases of like, you, are, you now are a representative of Christ. You're his ambassador. You're his minister of reconciliation. Our calling as believers, what's fitting, proper, and attractive in this world is to bear the name of Jesus in this world. Or in other words, to represent something that's bigger than you. Much like at the camp, I got that stuff with the logo on it. And I now represented that camp. When Jesus is your savior and you want to follow him in your life, you now are a representative of Jesus in this world. Right? You get to bear his name. Talk about privilege. Talk about opportunity. Talk about identity. And what about purpose? Bearing the name of Jesus gives us all of those things in this world. And so Paul is begging us to lead a life worthy of our calling that God has called us to. So remember, we broke it down to build it back up, and we're going to summarize it here. So here's what we've said so far. Paul is begging you and me today to bear the name of Jesus, giving proper, equal weight to what we believe and how we live as we continue to journey in this life together. Why is he begging us to do this? Why does he want the church to do this? Well, it's because the world needs us to. Hear me on that. God doesn't need us to. God can work in whatever way he pleases, right? He can do anything he wants. But you know what the world needs? The world needs us to bear the name of Christian in a manner that is unashamed, not worried about what people think, and to giving equal weight to what we believe and actually living it out. Your families need it. Your friends need it. Your coworkers need it. They need to see people who love and follow Jesus. 
That's your privilege. That's your opportunity. That's your identity. And ultimately, that's your purpose if you are a follower of Christ. So the question is, is this how you're living? Is this the life that you're leading? Only you can answer that for yourself. And so that's verse 1, all right? Ready for verse 2? Just kidding. Here's what we're going to do. The next question to really ask then is like, okay, well, what does it look like to actually lead a life worthy? Many of us are like, well, okay, that sounds good and all, but how do I do it? Paul answers that the rest of chapter 4, all right? So we're just going to kind of fly through this. There's a lot here, all right? So what does it look like to actually lead a life worthy of our calling that God has called us to? First, leading a life worthy means being committed to unity. Look at verse 2 through 6. He says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. So we've been called to a glorious hope of the future, which, remember, we're called to bear the name of Jesus. Jesus is our hope for the future, right? You guys getting that? Okay, cool. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and through all. Such a heavy passage. But do you notice that these character qualities up at the top, you know what they lead to? When we're humble, when we're gentle, when we're patient, when we make allowance for each other's fault, which is super hard, isn't it? And when we are loving, you know what that leads to? Unity. Unity. And so we need to live out these character traits that Paul is laying out here, or at least strive to, so that we can be unified, even in a culture where unity is hard to come by. We need to live that out. We need to, we need to literally be committed to unity by living that out. That's the first one. Next, leading a life worthy means using your God-given gifts to be a gift. We continue, chapter 4, verse 7. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Do you hear this? Each one of us, God has thought about, and he's gifted us with gifts. You. This isn't a general term. This is showing the intimacy of God with each and every one of us in this room today and throughout the history of Christianity. He's given us a gift. Why does he give us gifts? Now these are the gifts Christ has given the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Paul lists many gifts throughout four of his letters. We're not going to get into those gifts. That's a whole other message series. The, the question is, is why does God give us gifts generously? It's very simple. It's right there at the end. To equip God's people and to build up the church. In other words, God does not give us gifts as people, passions, abilities, different things you're really good at. He does not give us gifts to take, to keep for ourselves, and to hoard. He gives us gifts to do what? Build each other up. So my gifts are for you. Your gifts are for each other and for me. Do you realize that? God gives us gifts 
to be a gift. So the question is, is are you a gift? Are you a gift to others? We all have people in our lives that we love being around. You want to know why? Because we feel better for being with them. Do you know that that could be you? You know that could be your opportunity that people want to be around you because you're building them up, because you're equipping them, because they're going to leave a better person for being with you? That's what it means to be a gift. So ask yourself, are you a gift or do people avoid you? It's a very telling question. Okay? The last thing, and then we're going to wrap it up. Leading a life worthy means embracing our new life in Christ. Verse 21, I'm going to skip that first part. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, he's referring to the first three chapters and also when he was there with them, he says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And so what he wants us to do here, he wants us to put off our old self, put on our new self. In other words, when we have faith in Christ, there's a transformation that happens. But it takes responsibility on our end, right? That idea of throw off, like we have to do that. Christ does that for us, but we have to have that mutual responsibility of literally every day focusing on this idea that we're, we have new life in Christ, I have a new identity. I have a new purpose. I have a new outlook on life. So I get to embrace that new life in Christ. He urges us to actively participate. Actively participate. And so what does it look like to live the new life? He answers that in verses 25 through 32. I don't have time to go through that with you, but you can read that at home because that's right in your Bibles, all right? And so listen to me. If you are a Christian... Paul is begging you and me today. He is begging us to lead a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called. He is begging us to understand that we are representing Jesus by the way we live in this world. If you have faith in Christ, you are representing someone far greater than you. That is a privilege. Don't miss that. There is opportunity in that. There is purpose in that. And God wants to use you for his glory and for the sake of others. So give proper equal weight to both what you believe and how you live. Right? Live committed to unity. Use your gifts to be a gift and embrace your new life in Christ. Those are the steps that he wants us to do. So to close us out here, here's what I want you to do this week. It's mind-blowing, okay? I want you to read Ephesians 4 multiple times. Okay, can you do that for me this week? Read Ephesians chapter 4 multiple times, maybe even once a day. Read through it. Ask God to work in your life and ask your questions because that's what the Bible's for. It's profitable. It's profitable for our hearts to lead us, to train us in all godliness. And ask yourself these questions, okay? And so please, take time to do that this week. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your mercy. We thank you for the fact that 
we get to represent you in this life because of your son, Jesus. God, I pray if anybody in here today doesn't know you as their savior, Lord, that today they would begin to ask questions, that they would begin to seek you. And Lord, for those who do know you and do follow you, God, I pray that we would lead a life worthy of the calling in which you call us. God, that is a privilege in this life to do, to represent you to this world. So God, we give you all the glory today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we read the benediction today? Let's read this all together, Ephesians 3.20. Now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Have a great day. You're dismissed.